Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My goodness. Here's the high stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss. He ties the game at the buzzer. And to crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. The 2024 NBA Finals presented by YouTube TV continue on ABC. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Byron Bowers. Is this my mama? He was like, yeah, that's what she looked like before y'all fucked her body up, you know? (laughs) That and more. But before that... Hey, you guys, you know, a lot of our fans actually go out of their way to write into us about one of our advertisers, and that is people write in to say they love the deal that we have with adamandeve.com. I'm not kidding you. In fact, someone I'm incredibly intimate with on a regular basis (laughs) takes advantage of this deal regularly, and we play with the toys that he gets from it. Uh, yes, and the deal, this Adam and Eve deal we have, just got better. If you go to adamandeve.com now, you'll get 50% off just about any item, and they have a ton of stuff to choose from. But when you do, you'll also get a free sex swing now. This is the new thing, a new free sex swing. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If you've never tried having sex in a swing before... It's so fun. So much more possibility and control and positions. If you remember, the episode Kevin Goes to Kink Camp ends with a remarkably steamy scene in a sex swing. So good lord. Also, free shipping. (laughs) Just enter the code RISK at the checkout. That's the code R-I-S-K at adamandeve.com. You get 50% off just about any item, a free sex swing, and free shipping on the whole order. They have so many brands I recommend like Lilo, Rocksoft, Fleshlight, Liberator, Lubes from Pure and Wet. Go to adamandeve.com with the offer code RISK. Also, if you are a patron of ours at patreon.com slash risk, there is a surprise waiting for you on the site there, which is a brand new music video we created of me singing the Stamps, the fuck my ass, the stamps.com song. I don't know why I've been saying it Samps lately. <laughs> There are many wonderful perks and announcements. For example, I just made another announcement there the other day that there is now a Spotify list called The Best of Risk Music. 
It was created by Kevin Allison. You can look it up on Spotify yourself. It's 206 songs that have been featured in the Best of Risk music episodes. Anyway, we do a lot of announcements and have a lot of perks there at Patreon.com. We make little videos. We take photos. We, you know, tell about the behind the scenes of what's going on at the show. And patrons really enjoy being a part of that community. We are barely breaking even. (laughs) Here, folks, we are pretty desperate for the support and love of our fans shown financially through becoming members of Patreon. You can give just $1 a month or $5 a month, whatever you can give. Go become a member at patreon.com slash risk, and it's a fabulous, fabulous way to help us out and keep this important show running. Now, here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Nicholas Brittell behind me now. Wanted to feature something by the guy who did the music for Moonlight, which just won the Oscar. If you haven't seen it, definitely go see it. I'm going to keep things short and sweet tonight because I have a stomach flu that has had me just exhausted and sick for three days now i'm just really run down but we have three fabulous stories today from recent live shows we're calling this week's episode outsiders in a little bit we'll hear from sovereign sire who was so fabulous the last time she was on the show she told that story about the bug that was growing under her skin at the Risk Live show in Los Angeles. But before that, we're going to hear from the one and only James Urbaniak of the Venture Brothers and Difficult People and his own podcast, Getting On with James Urbaniak. The title is a little play off of a a big hit song from the 1920s, which you'll understand in a little bit. But here he is at the Risk Live show that we last did in San Francisco. James Urbaniak with a story we call... Putting on the fits. Thank you. Thank you. So, it's 1982. I'm 19 years old. I'm on a bus going from New Jersey to New York. My best friend is lying on the aisle of the bus. And a man opposite us is staring at us smoking a cigarette. But let me start at the beginning. (laughs) So I was taken to be a nerd in high school. Was anyone else here taken to be a nerd in high school? This one lady. 
one lady and a few other people. Because I was skinny and I wore glasses and I talked like this. In fact, I always talked like this. This is absolutely true. I remember in elementary school, a boy came up to me. I was like in third grade and he said, you sound like Mr. Spock. I didn't get the reference till years later. I'd never seen Star Trek. And I would be eh, bullied. I'm, look, I'm going to tell you a few things. I'm not looking for awes, but you can do awe if you want to. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even tell you the thing yet. Good warm-up. I would be like, I don't know, just, I remember once, like in high school in the gym locker room, I opened my locker and a boy shut it. <laughs> I opened it again and he shut it. And I opened it again and I shut it. And then he said, you're just skin and bones. Aww. It's like I'm a skinny guy now, but back then I was like scary thin. Like I remember a friend of mine once going, do you have cancer? <laughs> just dumb shit like that. Like I'd be walking down the hall and a guy would grab me so I couldn't walk. And then he would release me. <laughs> like, I never, I never got beat up. That was the most physical it ever got, you know? Once when I was a freshman, we had to substitute an English class and we were just given something to do. And then throughout the course of the class, every kid in the class gathered around me. And then a core group of them just started making fun of me. And the substitute... And the substitute teacher didn't do anything. And they were just like making fun of what I was wearing. I think I was probably wearing like an Izod shirt with the alligator or whatever. I had no sense of style. Aww. And um, this just continued through the whole class, just this sort of low level buzz of torment. And then I started to cry. <laughs> And I remember, like, I was trying not to show it, and I could see a tear was on my eyeglasses. It wasn't that bad, really. I'm not traumatized by it. I'm just setting up the scene. This was just, this was sort of the, uh, just a regular thing I had to deal with, like the rain or something. Every now and then, some guy would make fun of me. And occasionally a girl. There was a girl named Donna Baricelli. Is she here? I've never said her name publicly. I'm sure she's a married lady now, so... But I remember in science class, she used to try to burn me with a Bunsen burner. <laughs> I'm sure she's a very nice lady and maybe a grandmother at this time, so... So this is just the pattern of my life. This would just happen. Once I was walking down the street in my neighborhood, I was going to the store, but I was doing like a long walk and I remember I had just taken a shower, so my hair was wet, so it looked like it was slicked back. And in the late 70s, early 80s, boys wore long hair. My hair at the time was kind of long, but I had just taken a shower and combed it, so it was slicked back. So I looked like Eugene in Greece or something. <laughs> and I remember I happened to be wearing a button-down short-sleeve shirt. And a guy in a pickup truck, a young guy, was driving along the street, stopped, looked at me, and started to laugh. <laughs> That was it, and then he drove away. And you know what? If I made that guy's day a little bit brighter, what's the great harm? 
Okay, now the irony was, I actually wasn't a very good student. I was kind of a fuck up in high school. I didn't smoke, I didn't drink. I was just in my own world. I started out strong. Freshman year, I got mostly like B's and A's. And then sophomore year, I did not as well. And then by junior year, I remember one day taking a math test and all I could think about was a Doonesbury strip that I had read. <laughs> and in the Doonesbury strip, a character was singing Anything Goes by Cole Porter. And I remember thinking, I have to do this math test. In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked on as something shocking. Now heaven knows. Anything goes, math test. <laughs> the world has gone mad today and goes bet math test. Doonesbury, Cole Porter, anything goes. Oh. So, I just couldn't concentrate, but I was drawn to other books and comics and old songs and things, and somehow I scraped through and I graduated. But my grades weren't good enough to get into uh, college, so I went to a community college in central New Jersey, where I live, called Brookdale Community College. It's a great school. Ah, it's a good, yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong community college. So it was great. I started getting interested in acting. And they had a theater department. They had a big, beautiful performing arts center. And I started performing on stage in front of people. I had done a couple shows in high school, but now I started doing sort of show after show, and I was taken to be pretty good. And I had a new circle of friends. You, know, you all know what it's like, uh, right? <laughs> that lady just went, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's true. And uh, I felt more confident about myself. And I started meeting like-minded, sort of oddballs who had gravitated to this uh, community college. And it was good. I was in a, a play, it was a musical, it was Damn Yankees, and I was in the chorus. And there was a kid named Eddie in the show, and we got along really well. And one day we're about to go on, Eddie grabs me to keep me from going on. And I'm like, wait, this isn't bullying. It's just my friend giving me shit. <laughs> and I was like, I can live with this. And then he let me go, he's like, yeah, you know. So uh, it seemed like I was over the hump. It was good. And I met a friend in the theater department at Brookdale Community College named Anthony. Anthony was my age. Uh, he also uh, lived at home. Anthony was obsessed with the 1920s and the 1930s. He had an encyclopedic knowledge about this period. He loved the films of that period. I used to go to his house and we would watch old movies on his VCR. And Anthony knew who all the actors were. I remember we were watching My Man Godfrey, a character actor came on screen, and Anthony said, that's Franklin Pangborn. And it was. <laughs> that was the beginning of my love of those old movies. And now, my girlfriend's here, she can attest to this, we'll be watching an old movie, and I'll go, that's Franklin Pangborn. <laughs> and she'll go, yes, yes. Uh, so he loved old films, he knew all the actors, he knew stories about the actors, and he also loved just the culture of the time. And we used to go, we lived in New Jersey, and we used to take the bus into New York all the time, and a typical day with Anthony was, we would just walk around the city, and Anthony would talk. And Anthony would talk about architecture, about Art Deco. He knew when buildings had been built. He talked to me about the mayor of New York in the 20s, Jimmy Walker, who wrote songs who wrote, You Are My Sunshine. And uh, he, Anthony would sing that. You are my sunshine. This is a kid in 1982. 
It was great. Anthony also dressed like a guy from the 1920s. <laughs> so this is circa 82. Like I said, boys still had kind of long hair. Your look was kind of 70s default, you know, post-hippie. And Anthony wore his hair very short. He had little round vintage eyeglasses. He would wear shirts and ties and vests and slacks. You know, everyone wore jeans. Even I wore jeans. Anthony wore slacks and like wingtip shoes. And most notably, Anthony wore sock garters. <laughs> now, this was apparently a thing. Apparently in the 20s, uh, I don't know, elastic was in its infancy or something. <laughs> and men's socks were always falling down. You go to a movie and the newsreel would have that twirling newspaper that said, socks falling down. <laughs> apparently it was a big crisis, so this is true. Men would have little garters that they would wear on their calves to keep their socks up. And Anthony had these. This is 1982. There is no eBay. I don't know where he got them. But he knew he had to have them, and he did. And he would show them off. He would pull his slacks up and show them off. That was my friend Anthony. Someone said it's hot. You know what, it was kind of hot. I never thought about it that way. Neither of us had any sense of our sexual attractiveness back then. You know, thinking of it now, yeah, you dress like the 1920s and you talk like this, you're good to go in the big city. But So one day, <laughs> we were going to one of our trips to New York where we had no plan, where we would just probably walk around and go to the 59th Street Bridge and Anthony would tell me about how the bridge was built and stuff. These were great days, they were awesome. We didn't smoke, we didn't drink, we didn't go to bars. We would just walk around the city and Anthony would talk about the city and it was beautiful, it was great. I was so into this information and, and learning about stuff. He'd go like, there's the Winter Garden Theater. We'd walk by cats, he'd be like, that's where Jolson used to do musicals. And then Anthony would start to go, you know, Manny! No, whatever. <laughs> so we're on a bus one day going to one of these trips. We've known each other for like a year or so. We met at like 18, we're like 19 now. We're going to New York and uh, we're sitting uh, next to each other and across the aisle is a dude, just a little older than us, like wearing a denim jacket, little scruff, long hair. Looks like one of the kids who made fun of me that day in English class, you know, but now he's like 21, 22. And he sees me 20 pounds lighter than I am now without the hip retro sense of style that I have now. <laughs> to some geek from New Jersey, and Anthony dressed like a guy during the Great Depression. You know? <laughs> but like a, a well-to-do guy during the Great Depression. <laughs> With a nice tie and sock garters. You didn't wear sock garters if you were poor in 1930. <laughs> and the guy looks at us and says like this, so what are you guys doing in the big city? It's a taunt. I've known this my whole life. <laughs> or at least I've known it since junior high. <laughs> this is a taunt. Okay. I thought I was past this. I'm not going to say, we're going to walk around and Anthony's going to talk about architecture. <laughs> I don't want to get into it. So I'm just like, uh, nothing. A little moment goes by. And the guy's like, are you fags? <laughs> it was an unenlightened time. It's 1982. 
Uh, I don't know. No, we're actually very asexual right now. We don't have girlfriends. Then the guy, the guy said this to Anthony, can you fly with those ears? Which is kind of a whimsical taunt. It's a Dumbo reference. And I don't even think Anthony's ears were that big. It's just that he had very short hair. And in 1982, it was rare to see a young man's ears. It's true. So I'm like, shit. I really thought I was past this. And it's, they keep pulling me back in. It's happening again. And I just sound like, well, and we've just begun, it's an hour bus ride. And you know, this is just, the guy was already on the bus when we got on. So it's like, all right, now I've got another hour of this and we just gotta deal with it. And then uh, the guy keeps making comments and then Anthony suddenly goes, ow. And it was so long ago that you could smoke on buses. The guy was smoking and he had thrown a lit cigarette butt at us and hit Anthony in the back of the neck. Aww, real aww. So now it's actually crossing over to physical violence of the sort. Anthony leans over to me and whispers in my ear, I've got a scheme. (laughs) And then Anthony stands up in the aisle and does this. Would you stop? Would you stop? Would you just leave us alone? <laughs> he faints in the aisle. And he's perfectly still. And there's silence. And then people start talking about this. And I remember a lady in her Jersey accent saying, He's out cold. My first thought is we're screwed, is clearly one of Anthony's wacky stunts, and now this guy's gonna make fun of us more and beat us up when we get off the bus. But everybody bought it. Brookdale Community College Theater Training. (laughs) True. (laughs) So I look down and he's not moving, he's committing to character, he's committing to the scene. I'm going to have to pick him up, skinny little me, and put him back in his seat. So I reach down and I pick him up and put him down next to me. And the bully looks ashen. And he goes, is he all right? And Anthony starts to shiver. (laughs) He made a choice. He's following up. He's yes-handing himself. And I turn to the guy, and I wouldn't say this today in 2017, but at the time, I said to the guy, yeah, he's slightly retarded. (laughs) My father taught special ed, so I can say that. (laughs) And then actually, through the rest of the trip, I say things to Anthony to try to make him laugh. Even though I know that if he laughs, we're fucked. I would just, I made like little references to things we thought were funny and you know, I remember making a reference to our drama teacher. Like, we're gonna be in New York soon to see Uncle Larry, who was our theater teacher. It was funny in context. <laughs> but we get through the next half hour without this guy saying a word. 
And we finally get to New York, and Anthony committed to this thing the whole time. He's like, <laughs> the fainting shivers or whatever. And I like lift him up and like walk him out unsteadily. And as we're getting off the bus, the guy says to me, uh, I'm sorry. And you could tell he meant it. And I said, it's all right. And then we walked a couple blocks away from Port Authority, still staying in character. I'm sort of guiding him. And then we looked behind us <laughs> to make sure the guy wasn't there. And then we both burst out laughing. Great moment. Anthony. Now, I like to think the guy hung up his bullying shoes that day. And you know what, I bet he did. You know, he, he's like, you know what, I'm out of high school now, I can, I can move on. I, I became an actor and uh, it all worked out. I found that being thin and wearing glasses and talking like this could actually attract women when you're on your own in the big city. And no problem, didn't get bullied anymore. I stayed uh, friends with Anthony through the 80s. He ended up actually transferring to Rutgers University. I didn't. We kind of lost touch in the 90s and then in the aughts, I was really out of touch with him. Recently, I Googled him and I found him. <laughs> he is working in Rochester, New York, at Eastman House, which is like the preeminent film preservation organization in the country. And now he's kind of a bigwig there, and he's dedicated to the preservation of old film. So, there's no question that Anthony is now doing what he loves and is a man at peace. And, yes! right. And I'm gonna be in New York in the spring, and I plan to get together with Anthony again after all these years. That's the story. Oh. How's everyone doing tonight? <laughs> I, can't, I can't see anybody, but um, how many of you guys have been in love? How many of you guys remember the first person you ever loved, ever fell in love with? So the first person that I ever fell in love with or that I loved was my big brother. I think I was about two and he was about six. And he was like, I think it was the first man that was ever just like the world to me. Like I had just chased him everywhere. He was everything to me. He was like, 
my guy, he was my protector, he was all those things. We came from sort of a broken home, and it was pretty much just me and him kind of all the time. And so he was sort of, you know, brother and father and bodyguard, he was everything. I just, you know, I loved him. He was more kind of like, hey, could you like fuck off? Like, he was more of like, like I was chasing him everywhere and he was like, can you just like get out of here? Like, I'm trying, I'm busy, I'm busy being cool, man. Like, get the fuck out of here. You're busy being like affectionate and vulnerable and available emotionally. That's not my jam, man. That's not what I'm about, okay? Which I thought was really cool because I always like totally cared too much what other people thought of me. And like one of the things that made him amazing to me was that he just didn't give a shit. He was wild, you know? My parents had struggled with drug addiction and my brother was older. So he had been born sort of before they got clean. And then I was born like after they got clean. And he always kind of carried around that resentment that he saw the shit and I kind of got to come in afterwards and just get like all of the praise and and the care and and all of that kind of stuff, which wasn't exactly true. The thing is like my brother was kind of... Like, he was the kind of person where if, like, someone gave me a hard time at school, he would punch him in the face, like, no questions asked. Or if, like, I peed my pants in front of everybody, which did happen on the playground, he'd be like, you didn't see shit, man. No one saw shit. (laughs) And everyone listened. And, like, how romantic is that? You know what I mean? Like, that was, like, my my protector. But at the same time, he had, like, these really destructive impulses. Like, if you put him alone with, like, toothpaste and a matchbook, you try to make a pipe bomb. And so... (laughs) Like, so he was always getting in trouble and he always resented me. Like, I was the one that was like always getting like all the praise because I was like the straight A student. I had this long blonde hair. Everyone loved me. I was just very like charming and happy-go-lucky and all that kind of stuff. I played all the sports, everything. He was always resentful. Like, and I'd be like, dude, you just like, you can't like blow shit up all the time. You know what I mean? Like, you can't, you can't like destroy people's property and set things on fire, you know? He's like, you would say that not all of us can be a beauty queen. And the thing is, because I had been like Miss Junior Hawaiian Tropics, I lettered in academics. I had like a varsity letter. <laughs> like, um, I was like the kind of person that double majored in college and then went on to graduate school and did all of it before I was like 21. You know, like that was like the super overachiever. So what happened was he was about 14. He couldn't get along with one of my mom's boyfriends. And so he was decided he would go off to live with our natural father. He was liberated from his prison uh, where he was always competing with Miss Perfect. And I was meanwhile abandoned by my hero, you know. So by the time I went to go visit him in high school, I was just getting into high school and he was in his like fifth year of high school. He was something called a super senior which is when, like, you're such a fuck-up, they, like, hold you back and you do this continuation program to, like, get your GED. So me and my brother had a pretty sort of tense relationship where I just wanted him to love me and think I was cool, and he just wanted me to sort of go away. I mean, it got worse. It was, like, the harder I tried, like, even in high school, it was, like, his friends sort of, like, liked me better than him, you know, when I would go visit in the summers. And then, like, when I hit puberty, it got a little bit more... Like, we'd be walking down the street, and I'd hear, like, five feet behind me, like, no, dude, you can't fuck my sister. What the fuck? Like, that kind of, like, and everything for him was, like, I thought that was menacing, but he was just, like, everyone likes you better. Eventually, like, I got tired of trying to impress him or trying to win him over, and I got on with my life. Then I graduated college, and uh, my mom wanted to take the family on a trip to France to visit our grandfather 
and our aunts and uncles and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, this is great. We've had some breathing room and like I can finally have the relationship with my brother that I've always wanted where we're going to bond. We're adults now. We're like over this childhood shit, whatever. And we are kind of excited. We start talking to each other like, yeah, we're going to go to France. We're going to like hang out in Paris, see the Eiffel Tower. It's going to be awesome. All that kind of shit. On the plane over, we're like hyped. We're like, yeah, this is going to be amazing. And then the thing is, uh, we get to Paris and then we fly to Montpellier, which is like a much smaller, it's not Paris, it's very far from Paris. And then we get in a car and we drive deep into the south of France. This place is called Belleuc Le Bain, which is like a really small village, really far away from anything cool. And we meet my grandfather, who's this really imperious, like the patriarch of the family. And we see my mom be like really uh, submissive for the first time in our lives. Like she would like anything to please this guy. Like she's chasing after him, much like I chase after my brother. And we don't speak the language. Uh, there was finally something I couldn't do, which was speak French. And so my brother thought that was pretty cool. We were at least finally were like on the same level. We were both. Uh, had the fluency of toddlers. So for like we were finally on equal footing and like we were bonding this and it was like the most miserable trip ever because our grandfather's really old and didn't want to go anywhere. My mom wouldn't like assert herself in any kind of a way and me and my brother had no means to like extract ourselves from this hell. Like we were going to places like Sangiyama of the Desert or Carcassonne which were like these really lame tourist attractions that no one goes to. It's sort of like thinking you're going to go to California, you're going to be in LA, and you're going to see like the Walk of Fame and Man's Chinese Theater and a bunch of celebrities, and instead you end up in Fresno, California touring the Sun-Made Raisin Factory. <laughs> so there's like a whole... F- I still have a photo album of all these photos of me and my brother in France in all these amazing places, just holding hands, like looking absolutely miserable together. And like it still like fills my heart with joy. <laughs> like this is just like... <laughs> Like in France and just every picture, like like majestic beauty behind us, like huge castles, whatever. Misery. Just get me the fuck out of here. I want to be drinking in Paris and like, you know, getting in trouble, getting halfway pregnant, getting abducted. I don't know, whatever. So things are going really well. We're actually getting along. We're starting to bond, like break through these, like, you know, all these childhood issues. And uh, it's going to be Easter celebration. And we're going to go up to, we have these relatives that are winemakers in the hills and uh, we're going to go up there for Easter and see some more family that we don't know that can't speak the language and thinks we're ridiculous because we're American. We get up there and things are going actually kind of well. The lamb is out and there's all these, you know, fat friendly people we don't know and everyone's just like lubricated by a lot of wine and very happy and we're all just kind of chilling, you know, and it's like, I'm like, oh, finally we're getting to a place where things are really great. Me and my brother have really been bonding on this trip. And then we have these two uncles. I can't even remember their names because I was already so shit-faced by the time they came and sat down next to us. And uh, they pull out some uh, special brew they've been making and they put down this jar of uh, clear alcohol with some grain floating in it, which I recognized somehow as moonshine. Like, I understood what it was, which is, if you don't know what that is, it's a very, very strong alcohol. You can't buy it in the store. It's too strong. It's too, it's poison. And uh, they put it down and there's something about when you're an animal in a dangerous situation and you recognize when something is wrong. I didn't speak the language. I didn't know what my uncles were saying to each other, but I recognized that they were about to play a nasty trick on us. Like I felt like something shitty was afoot. They're, and they're challenging us to drink and we're already drunk. We've been drinking, we're in France. We've been drinking wine like from the minute we got there. And they're pouring out these shots, right? And I turn to my brother and I'm like, uh, I don't think we should do this. 
I think they're trying to get you really drunk. And I think they're making fun of the fact that you're an American and they're going to prove a point by getting you as drunk as possible. I think something's up. And he's like, you always think you know fucking everything. Here you go again. Here's this Miss Know-It-All shit. And I was like, okay, man. Like, you know what? You do you. And I'm just going to sit here and you do you and that's fine. And so my brother and these uncles, they start like doing shots. But I'm noticing the uncles, they're not drinking. They're just, they just keep pouring out for him. Well, he's going to be who he is. At some point, like, things get blurry, you know, I've been drinking, everyone's, like, passing around food, everyone's trying to talk to each other, but no one can understand each other, all this kind of stuff's going on at the same time. A few minutes later, I hear some commotion, and I realize my brother has left the table, and there's some sort of commotion going on from this area over here, away from the table, and I look up and I see it's my, my mother's talking to my brother, and it looks like he's just come out of the bathroom, and they're having a little discussion, the fly of his pants was down and she was saying like, your fly's down, you need to zip up your fly. And my brother stumbles around and he's kind of like falling and then in this weird kind of like Buster Keaton kind of balletic moment, he sort of like jumps up on to like the table where we're all eating and he says, they all wanna see my dick anyway, that's what this has all been about. And he he unzips his pants. And he whips his dick out over the Easter lamb. <laughs> and, uh, and here's the thing. It is glorious. <laughs> it's huge. It's incredible. I've never seen anything like it since. And apparently no one else in the family had either. Because in this moment where like everything stood still... Like, they all stopped talking, which is saying a lot for French people that are eating food. Like, <laughs> silence. And, and I'm looking at, like, the looks on everyone's faces, and it's like this combination of absolute, like, admiration and horror and reproach. Like, that's magnificent, but highly inappropriate. What the fuck is going on? And then he starts, like, shifting his hips to make his dick like hit like like really just show making a show you know like he's he is delivering and uh and he does this for like a second but it felt like minutes and um there's a moment when you're like that's my hero this is why i love this man so intensely there he is like sort of incandescent, numinous, like an angel, just batting his cock around in front of all of these family members that are like all just like completely aghast. And I, can, I see what the thrill of all of the rebellion is in that moment. He's an angel, right? He has like eight foot wings on either side and a huge dick. And, uh, and then he sort of like stumbles off the table. He goes like, you know, almost immediately starts just like vomiting. Like, like... <laughs> in front of everyone and uh and i'm feeling pretty sick at this point too my grandfather sort of gets up and it's like very you know very buster keaton in his own way like sort of swoops the whole family like into the car like to just like no goodbyes no anything just control the chaos get it out so we're like in this car driving and i like i'm just sitting like waiting kind of until we're just like out of the sight of the family and we're like going through these like twisting like hills in the south of france and like when i feel like the time is appropriate i just very quietly sort of like roll down my window and like lean out and just start puking myself (laughs) and we get back to the house it's like you know very silent and it's just like you know a lot of brooding or whatever 
my grandfather is like out, we get out and he like pulls out a garden hose and he just starts like spraying my brother like he's a dog, you know, just, just like washing him off. And I'm just sort of like standing there like, oh man, I'm like so sorry. This is like trying, you know, like it's my brother. I'm like, I'm trying to like, my brother's like kind of, oh, I'm like really sorry I fucking pulled my dick out, grandpa. <laughs> And my grandfather <laughs> goes, I don't care that you pulled your dick out. I don't care that you got drunk, but you threw up in front of other people? <laughs> your sister is more of a Frenchman than you are. Disgusted. And in that moment, it's like my heart fell because I knew that that meant that all the bonding me and my brother had done had just been severed because like once again, like inadvertently, I had just been better. And that, and like, yeah, it was. I think it was like another four years before me and my brother talked again. And um, so that's my, <laughs> that's my story. <laughs> This is Risk. This is Dylan LeBlanc behind me now. And yeah, like I was saying, during the uh, opening announcement, we created a The Best of Risk music list for Spotify. It's 206 of our favorite songs that we've ever featured on the show. If you just look it up on Spotify as The Best of Risk music, the curator is Kevin Allison. It's hours of wonderful listening if you like the music you hear on the show and before dylan leblanc we heard sovereign sire who you can find at sovereignsire.net that's sovereign like the word sovereign and s-y-r-e.net now we love having great advertisers support our show <laughs> in fact it's yet another thing we would not be here if not for that but in order to continue doing that, we need new advertisers, and we need your help. So if you could, please go to podsurvey.com slash risk and take a quick, anonymous little survey that will help us get to know you a little bit better. That way we can show our advertisers just how great our listeners are. If you've taken our show's podcast listener survey before, the current one is brand new and different. So I'd really love for you to go take it all over again. 
Plus, once you've completed the survey, you can enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card. So that's lovely. So again, that's podsurvey.com slash risk. Sorry, I'm just learning how to read. It's podsurvey.com slash risk. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for taking the survey. Now, for our last story today, it's so great to have Byron Bowers back on the show. Such a remarkable voice, such an interesting guy. Byron is online at byronbowerslive.com, and here he is now at the Risk Live Show in Los Angeles with a story we call Meet Your Maker. How y'all doing, gang? <laughs> I want to uh, share with you all the time I went to visit my dad. You know, being a father is what it is. I'm not one yet, but I'm pretty sure it's easy. Um, <laughs> my dad was great, you know what I mean? He gave me everything I needed, and I never wanted for anything when I lived with him. Very amazing human being uh, the first six years of my life. I got to a point where I wanted to forget everything that happened in between and realize like, oh shit, this was a really great man, a great human being. And I should share that with him, you know, let him know how I truly feel about him and who he was in my life. So I decided to go see him. I haven't seen him in six years, right? That's a long time not see a parent, you know. And my little sister decided to come with me. So it was, it was a real family thing. And I'm glad that she came with me because it's not her father, you know what I mean? She got her own dad. That's basically what I'm saying. Uh, we're a blessed family. Um, my mom decided to give us our own father. <laughs> it's a brilliant idea when you think about it. We never bickered about who's dad spending more time than you than with me. No, you got your own motherfucking dad. <laughs> and we could tell each other father apart. My sister's light-skinned, you know. She's a high yellow person. She's the color of the inside of my hand. I'm dark-skinned. I'm the color of the outside of my hand. So if you see a father, you do a hand test. And if they match the color of the outside of my hand, then that's my father, you know. So... We get prepped before we go see him, you know what I mean? Because I want to tell him this thing. I want to tell him how much amazing person he is. But he's paranoid, schizophrenic, which makes it even hard to communicate. I don't know if you know what paranoid, schizophrenic is, but that's a person who has delusions and thinks that everybody that's close to him is trying to kill him or harm him in a way. So it's hard to communicate with people like this sometimes. You got to treat these people like old pit bulls that used to fight. You got to be real careful when you approach them. And this is the prep I'm getting. Like, my auntie's like, look, he's off his medication. So when you talk to him, be careful. Don't move your hands like this. 
and don't really come aggressive because he can kill your ass. And I'm like, oh, shit. So basically, I got to treat him like I treat somebody when I'm at the ATM, you know? Because black people be nervous standing behind white people at the ATM. Am I right? See? We don't want to offend y'all and make y'all scared, so we scared. And we try to sit there with our hands behind our back as if we trying to be Asian or some shit. <laughs> Niggas don't walk with hands behind their back unless we at a funeral. Uh, so my auntie's telling us this, so we going over there and we like, we got a plan for this, you know. He live in the projects, so it's already going to be dangerous going in, so we got to make sure we don't make any loud noises. Uh, we want to park the car in reverse just in case some shit go down. You could just put it in drive and get the fuck out of there. You know what I mean? You don't want to pull straight in because crazy people tend to jump on the hood of your car and you don't want to look a motherfucker in his eye through a windshield. That's even scary. You'd rather have him on the trunk so when you pull off, he fall off and you don't have to... My sister's like, you being paranoid. I'm like, nah, fuck that. You ain't even seen paranoid yet. You think I'm paranoid. We get up to the house, we park, and this motherfucker is sitting outside. You know what I mean? He's in his doorway, sitting outside, waiting on us. I get scared. I'm like, oh, shit, he beat us to the punch. Then I realize you can't out-paranoid a paranoid schizophrenic. That makes sense? Like, we had every angle covered. He had every dimension covered. That's a whole different ball game. I ain't even knew what a dimension was until I did LSD, you know what I mean? And I was like, oh, shit. So we sitting in the car scared. I'm looking at her, she looking at me. I'm like, who getting out the car first? She like, nigga, it's your daddy. You get out the motherfucking car. And I'm like, God damn, you right. This is my daddy. <laughs> so I get out of the car and I'm walking towards him. He's like, oh, what's up? How you doing? I ain't seen him in six years. He got on a skull cap, a toboggan. No shirt and some jogging pants. And I'm like, oh, shit, this ain't the outfit you wear when you ain't seen your only son in six years. This is more like I left my cell phone in the car outfit, you know? Like, oh, shit, let me hurry up and go to the store before they close. And I got to hug this nigga. I don't feel comfortable hugging a man with no shirt on. Scary shit. Because he's 6'2", 200 plus pounds. I'm 150 soaking wet with an erection, you know. <laughs> so if some shit jump off and he feel like he want to choke me, I'm fucked. Because I'm not the fighter, you know what I mean? My sister's the one blessed with the hands. She could fight. She never lost a fight before. Me, I'm undefeated at being defeated. <laughs> I'm spiritual. I'm more spiritual. That's what I'm saying. I have a gut feeling I'm about to get punched in the gut before I get punched in the gut. And after I get punched in the gut, I'm like, you know what? I knew I was about to get punched in the gut. <laughs> God damn it. And I hugged him, right? And I hugged him, and it was weird because my hands, like, pressed into his skin instead of cotton. And I hugged him. As, you know how women hug you when they, you, you cool with them, but they don't want to fuck you? Like, it's a big lean-in type shit. <laughs> like, don't touch anything. But this area, like, that's how I hugged him. But I kept eye contact with him because I ain't no bitch. You know what I mean? <laughs> And I kissed him on the cheek, you know. Then he saw my sister, he got excited, like, what's up, girl? And then she get out of the car, and she go up to him, and she shake his hand. I was like, oh, shit, I could have did that shit. 
I almost died trying to hug this motherfucker. He was like, y'all come in, man. Y'all come in for a little while. I hope you like white people because John here. And we was like, what the fuck? And he opened the door and Elton John was playing on the radio loud as fuck. <laughs> That's what he was saying. Like, I hope you like, who's, who's that racist where they don't like Elton John? You know what I mean? I'm pretty sure at one time the Black Panthers was like, man, I fuck with that song right there. <laughs> I hate white people with that shit right there. Rocket Man, nigga, fool. Okay. I hate these motherfucking crackers, but Rocket Man, shit. I felt that. <laughs> this house looked like it was been raided. No lights on. Everything's unplugged. You don't trust appliance. You don't trust electricity. The only light that was in the apartment looked like it snuck in. You know what I mean? Like, just like, was like, what y'all doing in here? <laughs> you know. Had a couch. I remember he had a couch like a two people love seat and he had like a one chair and my sister immediately went for that chair because when you had a crazy person house you want to sit by your motherfucking self you don't want to sit around nobody and as soon as she sat down he was like that's my motherfucking chair and she was like oh shit my bad and she did about face and sat down in the other seat and I'm like man this motherfucker gonna get us killed I sat next to her I sat in between her and Elton John on the radio you know and he came over and he sat directly in front of us and just stared at us like it felt like an eternity as if you know we was like cops interrogating him and some shit he just looked at both of us and he lit a cigarette and started like chewing on that shit like chewing on the smoke as if it had pulp in it or some shit and that was throwing me off you know what I mean I'm like this guy got tricks up his sleeve you know and he was like, y'all, how y'all doing? Y'all good? How was the trip going down? He was like, oh, the road trip is good, et cetera, et cetera, all that bullshit. And then he was like, y'all want some water? And he was like, yeah. And he was like, I can't give y'all no water. I would, but the, the water is just poison, you know. Ain't no good water. And I was like, you know what? You right. You know, and my sister was like, what? And I was like, oh, shit, she don't even know. You can't negate a crazy person. You got to yes and everything they say. I learned improv from my dad, you know what I mean? You don't negate a crazy person. Whatever they say, you go with that shit. He's like, we'll offer y'all some water, but the water poison. I was like, yep. I read about that shit. <laughs> My sister was like, huh? He was like, yeah, some bitch I used to fuck put poison in the water at the water treatment plant, and it just find its way into my apartment and shit. And every time I drink it, I get sick. Like, yep, I heard about that shit. You know what I mean? My sister, she don't know what the fuck going on at this point. He was like, I believe Honey Doll. I believe your aunt told her where I live. I was like, Honey Doll? I don't know who the fuck would name their kid Honey Doll, but apparently it's two paranoid schizophrenics in the family. There's one that disappeared a long time ago named Honey Doll, right? He was like, you ain't never met Honey Doll before? And I was like, nah. I didn't even want to say no, nah, but I was like, nah. And he was like, I got a picture of her. I'll be back. And he went, right, to grab a picture. And as soon as he left, I started tapping my sister on the arm, like, yo, trying to make this escape route. I'm like, hey, look, if anything go down, let's get the fuck. He walked in, like, here go the album right here. And he brought a photo album. You know, for those who don't know, that's like a, it was like a book with pictures in it. <laughs> it had this paper in it, this real plastic loud paper. Just, you know. Real loud. You had to rip that shit. 
So we opened this photo album, right? And there's some amazing pictures in here of families that I'd never seen before. You know, when they was young. I had my, seen my grandmother and my grandfather when they was young. You know, beautiful. I seen a picture of my mom when she was young. And I was like, damn, is this my mother right here? You ever seen that picture of your mom? Like, damn, my mama was fine as fuck. Is this my mama? He was like, yeah, that's what she looked like before y'all fucked her body up, you know? <laughs> Because he got a sense of humor, too. He showed me a picture of Honey Doll and stuff, and he was like, you know, uh, my favorite picture on the next page. And my sister turned the page, and there's naked women all in the next two pages. Polaroids, naked women, same position. Spread eagle, holding their legs like this. Pussy wide open. This is old, like, I'm talking about fucking... Pussy hair, like I'm talking about Alf season one, right? Chewbacca, you know, like I'm talking about it's full on like shit you never and it matches like the the frozen shit they had on a thing. I was like, oh shit, this is a trophy book right here, you know, like all the fear left me just for a split second, you know what I mean? In my mind, I'm like, damn, look at this shit right here. Because you, fuck all that paranoid schizophrenic shit. Like, I became a proud son <laughs> for some weird reason in that moment. You know what I mean? Because I didn't live with my dad, but I'm looking at all his accomplishments right here. You know what I mean? <laughs> it ain't much, but it's something, you know. And uh, we had to act like they were fully clothed. Like, they was wholesome women that he met at church. Like, oh, she looked nice. What's her name? Oh, that's Deborah right there. Oh, Deborah, huh? You know. All that bullshit talk, but we staring at each other. You've done that before, just at a party, just looking at somebody like, shit, this shit hell crazy. We flip the page, it's more. It's more, it just keeps going. I'm talking women. I'm talking about, it's like, it's like, what, one, two, three, four, five, six. Like, he's he been with over 200 women, so it's like half of that shit. You know, you flipping through it, and you could tell, like, the time is moving, because the pussy hair just getting, like, lower and lower. <laughs> You could tell, like, okay, this is the 80s right here. I see a jerry curl, and I see a little lower bush, you know what I mean? Long, fingernails are getting long. I see what's going on right here. I've been to a museum before, you know? <laughs> he was like, this next picture, you're going to love. This next page, you're going to love. And we basically, we flipped the page over, and it's a picture of him in the same position, <laughs> holding his dick, with a smile on his face. <laughs> the part of me was like, what the fuck? Is it? But I couldn't say, my sister was like, oh my God. You know how you be like, it come, like she threw up, oh my, she didn't want to say it, but she threw up, oh my God, like, oh my God, you know, like that. <laughs> and I didn't know how to feel because my sister looking at my dad dick, it just ain't, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I just weird. She's staring at that motherfucker and I'm staring at that motherfucker like, God damn, like, is my shit bigger than his? You know the shit you think when you see another, okay, not everybody, but, but I never, at the same time, I never seen him so happy before in my life. You know what I mean? He's just sitting there with a cheese, like, smile on his hand. I was like, man, this dude got a sense of humor, you know? Turn the page, and it was nothing. There's no more women or nothing. It was his emblem from the Freemason organization, which is eerie to me, you know what I mean? Because I could talk about all this shit. I just can't talk about... Freemason, you know, I tried it one time when he was on crack and he sobered up and I was like, this is some powerful shit if it could sober a crackhead up, you know what I mean? 
I was like, uh, what goes on in a Freemason meeting? He was high as shit. You know, he was on crack. He was confessing to me all type of shit. Like, I'm sorry I couldn't be there for you and all that shit. And for some reason, I ignored all that shit. And I was like, yo, what goes on in them Freemason uh, meetings? And he was like, man, nothing. You know, people just get together and talk. And I was like, oh, shit, some shit definitely go on in them Freemason meetings. This nigga's a maturing candidate or whatever the fuck that shit so by the time I get to this Freemason shit, I couldn't talk about that, but I could at this moment feel the time to express the reason I came over here, that I'm not harboring feelings toward him at this moment, and he's a loving father and a great man. And I told him, I'm like, hey man, I just wanted to tell you how great you were, you know, and I never wanted for nothing when we was younger, and I appreciate for what you did in my life and taking care of me for my first six years. And he was like, nah, man, nah, uh, I can't accept that. And I was like, what? I was like, man, no, I came to tell you, you know, how I feel about you raising me. And he was like, no, I appreciate that, but I mean, I can't, you know, that's your sister, man. I can't fuck your sister. (laughs) And my sister was like, well, uh, I think it's time to go. And I was like, no, man, what the fuck you talking about? And he was like, man, you a pimp now? It's like he was hurt. Like, you a pimp now? And you pimping out your own sister? And I'm like, no, man, you missing what the fuck I'm trying to say. Like, I'm starting to get irate and, like, getting teary-eyed because this moment, like, I'm like, man, if I could just get this moment to let him know how I feel, then maybe in my mind, my heart, everything will be all right. And I'm like, no, man, you missing what the fuck I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to tell your pussy ass. You know, I'm yelling and shit. And then, like, he's not getting it, right? And that, like, that glimpse of hope is just fading away. It's just fading away and my voice getting crackly and my eyes getting watery and I'm just, yeah, I'm just cursing them out now in a bad way, like how great you, motherfucker, you a great ass nigga, you know, and all this shit. <laughs> then my sister just grabbed me, was like, come on, baby, let's just go, let's just go. And I'm trying to fight and then he like, yeah, like, yeah, y'all, y'all, y'all leave, yeah. As he's saying to her that I'm the crazy one, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, get, save me from this motherfucker, this motherfucker crazy. And then we just got in the car and, uh, I remember just pulling off and him just being in the rearview mirror and shit. And I was about to cry like a motherfucker, but I had a piece of steak on the floor and I grabbed the steak and I ate it. (laughs) And then we turned up music and got the fuck out of there. (laughs) Never forget that moment though, man, because it's a moment at the time, and I don't know if it's over, where we always have faith about relationships, you know what I mean? Past relationships, things that's not healed, you know, things we want to heal, things that linger on us for years. Somehow we have to deal with those things in order to move on. And that was a time I thought that I could deal with that and handle that and not have a person think that I feel a certain way about them, right? But that moment just faded in front of my eyes. And it was a very hurtful moment to see like something like that, to experience something like that. And it don't mean that it's over. Like it's still a little bit of faith that these ideas could be communicated. I might have just went about it the wrong way. You know what I mean? And I have to find another way to do it. So I don't know if to tell you whether to keep having faith or not. At this moment, I'm gonna tell you where I'm at at this moment. I just accepted this is how it is and maybe he understands how I feel. 
in some other dimension. Thank y'all. is all for this week's episode folks this is b beeman behind me now and we just heard from byron bowers and i'm bevan balance and i'm just hey kids here is where we're coming next live on march 18th we are in los angeles yet again at the bootleg theater we do a show there once a month at the bootleg sovereign sire who you heard on today's episode is going to be back there at march 18th and brian babylon who told the classic dick meat in a diaper story from years back march 18th at the bootleg in los angeles march 18th we will also be in burlington vermont burlington our first time ever in burlington i'm so excited to visit vermont Come on out and see us. You can always find ticket information at wristdashshow.com slash tour. On April 9th, a big show at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Michael Ian Black will be there. Don Will will be there, the rapper DJ. It's going to be an all-star show, and it's for NYC PodFest. That's on April 9th at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Now, on April 29th, we're in Minneapolis again. Minneapolis, April 29th. We're still taking pitches, and the theme that night is action. And then Denver, Colorado, May 20th. The theme that night is irresistible. Pitch us, Denver. Pitch us. Uh, Let's see. uh, Portland. The theme is hype on June 9th. Portland, Oregon. The theme is hype on June 9th. On June 10th, we're in Seattle, Washington. The theme that night is destructive. June 10th in Seattle. The theme is destructive. June 11th. 
We are in Vancouver. The theme is Monster. That is June 11th in Vancouver. The theme is Monster. July 8th, we are back in D.C., in Washington, D.C. at the Black Cat. That is July 8th. The theme is One of a Kind. So for all those that I just listed the themes, pitch us. Go to risk-show.com slash submissions. And you can pitch us any time of year, but especially if you live in, you know, D.C. or Portland or Vancouver or, um, you know, any of those places I just listed. Pitch us your stories at risk-show.com slash submissions. And if you're wondering how to put a story together, well, just visit us at thestorystudio.org. We do one-on-one training over Skype. We have video courses you can download and take in your own time. You can hire us to teach your staff of your business how to communicate better around the office. That's all at thestorystudio.org. And remember, become a patron to help keep this running. Go to patreon.com slash risk. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash risk. You can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month, $5 a month, whatever it might be, but you have access to all sorts of perks and prizes. Become a part of our patron community. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Would you stop? Would you stop? Would you just leave us alone?